Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. All right, it's part four of 12. There are 12 books that we call the Minor Prophets. We're on the fourth, already one-third of the way through. Today, it's Obadiah. Obadiah. So I'm going to pray for our, our time in the Word and pray that you are able to find Obadiah in the Bible, because some of you, it's going to be tough. It's the smallest book in the Old Testament. So, All right. Lord, thank you so much for your Word. It's powerful. Many of us don't know Obadiah, maybe haven't even read it or can't remember reading it, and yet for such a small book, it packs a punch because it reminds us of the rest of the story of redemption. We see the same pattern in it that we see everywhere in the Bible. So Lord, help us to recognize this. Help us to recognize you in this. Help us to hear from you. Lord, this is precious time. Would you protect it? Would you give us the ability to pay attention to you? Would you, would you give us the ability to be here? Our minds wander. Our hearts seem fractured and scattered. Lord, we ask for your help. Bring us to a place where we hear you and understand you and then give us the character to apply what we understand to how we live and the choices we make. In your name, Jesus, we pray and all of God's people said, amen. amen. So it was 1977 and Star Wars was released. Star Wars came out and I was 12 years old and I saw it like multiple times in the theater and I remember I was just hooked. It was epic in every way. But what I didn't recognize at the time, and now looking back I recognize, is that it wasn't just the science fiction-y stuff. It wasn't just the effects. Those are all really cool. All that stuff, all space itself was really cool. But deeper than that, more appealing than that, stronger than that, was the epic storyline. It was the classic storyline. The storyline of the underdog taking all. And it turns out that this storyline is something we love to hear, we want to hear, and we want to rehear. Every one of us, every human being on the planet, we want to be immersed in this storyline, this unlikely story of the underdog. It's the story of David and Goliath. It's the story of how wrong uh, the evil emperor Palpatine was when he told Luke Skywalker that his almighty planet-sized Death Star was quite safe from your Pitiful little band. An entire legion of my best troops awaits them. And we know how that turned out. This story, this underdog takes all narrative, is God's story. It's his favorite story. It was first authored by God. It's without doubt his favorite story, his favorite plot line. It's the Bible. It's the whole Bible from beginning to end. It's Israel. It's the whole people of God for all time from start to finish. It's the story of redemption. And in its highest form ever and forever, it's the story of Jesus Christ. It's the story that we are going to look at, review, rejoice in in the days to come. The underdog takes all. Really, it's more than that. It's the righteous underdog, defeats the wicked overlord. We want this story. And so it turns out that Obadiah, even though it seems obscure, 
is a reflection of this story. It's, it's a one chapter long book in the Bible. It's tiny. It's a tiny little book. You know, you are going to have trouble finding it. You might not, you know, sometimes you're in church and you don't want people to know you don't know where a book in the Bible is. So you just do that casual page flip thing. That's probably not going to work this time. You know, you're going to have to go to the front of the book. There's a thing there called the table of contents, and you're going to have to look at the page number and find that page number. And likely, in most of our Bibles, it's like on one page, the whole book. That's how small it is. So, I'm praying that you find it. Some of you, you're you're going to look very casually. (laughs) If you have a pew Bible of some sort and you see somebody near you with a pew Bible and you found it, share the page number. Come on, it's fellowship right there. You know, we're in this together. So to start out, here's what you need to know about Obadiah. The evil emperor or empire in Obadiah is the Edomites. Edom, the people of Edom. And and their, their death star, the thing that they were trusting in was their high position, physically high position, their lofty place, on the mountainside, as it says in verse three and four, the clefts of the rock, your lofty dwelling set among the stars. They had what you call high ground. And if you have high ground, you tend to win. This is what they were proud of. This is what they were confident in. And this is what God went after. He took them down. And that's Obadiah's vision. Here's an illustration of it. That big hand reaching to grab that eagle, that's God taking down the Edomites. Now, who are the Edomites? Here's a little breakout of a map. You can see the Dead Sea there, so you know this is in the Israel region, east of some of the other sites that we're familiar with in Israel and Judah. Here's another map, and you can kind of locate the Dead Sea on there, kind of in the middle, and you can see the yellow portion, you know, around Moab and Edom, and you'll, you'll see that area. That's the area of Edom. That's where Edom is. That's a good thing to know. Good question to ask, you know, where is Edom? But a better question might be to ask, who is Edom? Let me read something that I found in an old commemorative Bible of mine that answers this question, I think, pretty well. Obadiah wrote this shortest book of the Old Testament probably soon after the armies of Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. So that's 586 B.C., So this prophecy is writing to people who are farther in the future than other people who received other books of prophecy from other prophets, other minor prophets. We know that Israel fell in 722 BC. They were conquered, destroyed by Assyria. Judah, the southern kingdom, Israel's the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom fell in 586 BC, conquered by Babylon. So Obadiah is writing to people who have been defeated. That's important to understand. He's writing to people who have lost it all. It's hard to relate to such people because very few of us have had a lost it all moment in life. But all of Judah had had this moment. And now Obadiah is speaking to them. Here's the rest of what was in that commemorative Bible. During this conquest, the conquest of Babylon, as Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, during this conquest, the people of Edom helped capture fleeing Israelites and turn them over to the Babylons. 
the Babylonians, I mean. Uh, they even took up residence in some Judean villages. This angered the Lord, for the Edomites, as descendants of Esau, were related to the Israelites and therefore should have helped them. So that's who these people are. They are descendants of Esau, Jacob and Esau. So these are their relatives, but they decided to side with the Babylonians because the Babylonians were the mighty kingdom and they were obviously going to win this war. So we want to put ourselves on the side with the winner. That's what righteousness is to us, to so many of us all the time. Righteousness is being the winner. But God doesn't see it that way at all. And the whole Bible tells the story over and over again. The righteous underdog, that's who he favors. You can just see it in so many layers. You can see it in Genesis, where you see that firstborn, to be firstborn is everything, to be secondborn is nothing. And over and over again, it's the secondborn that gets the prize over and over again. The underdog takes all. That's the, that's the story writ large, the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the second Adam, second born, if you will, taking it all. So we are here looking at this story of betrayal, looking at the story of people who had their confidence in who their allies were other than God and what their resources were, never mind God. And I mean, let's just take a look at the, the first nine verses. There's only 21 verses in the whole book. And in the first nine verses, we're gonna see what the prophet Obadiah says about Edom and their so-called security. You know, that what they place their confidence. What's going to happen to them? And in this, we're going to learn or see again that God, maybe more than anyone else, is passionate about casting down the arrogant. Verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. So God is calling people to attack Edom. And he is saying, you think you're big. I'm going to make you small. You think you're admired. You know, top of the class. No, I'm going to make you utterly despised. Verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? I'll tell you who, God. Though you soar, it says in verse four, aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how have you been destroyed? Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. So everything you think you've kept, you will lose. Everything you think you've saved is gone. Most of all, you will be gone. And we'll see that expressed in a couple of verses. The destruction 
of Edom itself. He's saying here, thieves, plunderers, these are not people we admire, but they seem to have more honor than you. And you are totally pillaged. Continues, verse six, all, or verse seven, all your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. So Timon or Timon or whatever that is, however you pronounce it, that's uh, that's a, a, a location on a map that's right inside that little map of Edom that I showed you before. So that's who he's referring to. So apparently, you can be a pitiful little band because that's all Judah was now, and you can take down the Death Star itself if God joins the fight. And God does join the fight. He makes a way where there is no way. And he reveals to us in Scripture by his prophets that he's motivated to do so because of what he determines is right or wrong. That's what motivates him. And we forget this sometimes. We forget that when God sees the word justice, he thinks about his justice. Not justice that any one of us would define but what he defines as right, what he says is wrong. And when he's involved in something like this, there's a reason. And that reason is related to righteousness every time. You see it with Moses. The Red Sea's in front of him. The Egyptian army is behind him. Pharaoh's army behind him. There's no way out. He's defeated, just like Judah is defeated. Would certainly have the right to feel defeated at this point after 586 BC. So Moses and all the people that follow him, defeated, there's no way out. But then God joins the fight. And he does so for a reason. Sometimes we forget this. We forget this sometimes during Holy Week. That the, the cross judges us. You are judged by the cross and saved by the cross. But judgment is part of it. It's about justice. Sin is paid for. It is not okay with God. He does not make it okay. He does not look the other way. No, that's not what he does because that wouldn't be right. He does what is right. And so when he saved his people, in the desert, by parting the Red Sea, he also destroyed Pharaoh's army in that same move. You see it with David and Goliath, a story that I referenced earlier, a story that makes no sense apart from the fact that David was the human, biological, and spiritual ancestor to Jesus Christ himself. There's no way that David can beat Goliath. And we have this whole thing that we do all the time. We do it with all kinds of Bible stories. We write ourselves into the story. I'm David, and my problems are Goliath. And all I need to do is have enough faith or have enough courage. Can I tell you something? You do not have enough faith. You do not have enough courage. You never will. And you're trying to have enough faith and trying to have enough courage likely drives you away from God, not towards him. 
It it likely makes you put your confidence in yourself. And that's a mistake. Amen? Especially when it comes to things eternal. Especially when it comes to spiritual truth. We need God. We are not God. And so if you meet Goliath, you're through. Goliath is going to rip you apart. And in fact, that might be an accurate life story for many of us. How's your day going? Goliath's got me. He's ripping me apart. Well, be like David and have courage and face him and you can do it. No, you can't. That's the whole point of the Christian faith. Maybe somebody else can believe they can do it. But if we call ourselves Christians, we're saying, I can't do it. I don't have it. I'm mortal, I'm weak, I'm fallible, I'm going to die, I'm going to lose everything I have, every relationship I ever had, and 100 years from now, no one's going to remember my name. That's me. That's the truth. I'm not being negative. I'm not being pessimistic. I'm not being a downer. That's the truth. We don't want to face the truth. We want to pretend, and sometimes we create our faith based on our pretending. We, we, we think, oh, 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 I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. I think I can, I think I can. No, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. And, then, and you want to, to know that you can't so that you ask God to help you. When you face Goliath, you want David. Who is David? The ancestor of Christ. You want Jesus Christ to fight that battle for you and win that battle for you. You want to follow Jesus. You want to say, Jesus, I'm going to hook myself to you. I'm going to be with you. I'm with you. I follow you. I trust in you. You are the hero of my story, not me. Amen? And that's part of what we celebrate and what we love about these days to come. Because you don't have to be the hero of the story. You don't have to have the courage or the faith. I know you want it. You want to look good in the mirror. Who cares? There's something way more important than that. You know what? Not that you have courage, not that you have faith, but that you're loved. You're loved by God. You're chosen by God. You're called by God. And then what follows? You're saved by God, redeemed by Him, delivered by Him, everything restored to you by Him. Amen. Now, that's the good news, isn't it? Amen. Because the other side of things makes you do more and try harder, and it becomes a religion centered on yourself. You know, with Jesus being your life coach, you know, help me, Jesus, be a better me. No, don't do that. That's exhausting. It's hard as a pastor to see so many people experience so much defeat. If, If we go down that path, it always leads to the same place. If you write yourself in, To your life story as the hero, it's not going to turn out the way you want. Let the hero be the hero. Let the Christ be your Christ. Let God be your God. And that's all part of the message here, all part of this narrative. The underdog takes all narrative because all the underdog needs is God. And suddenly now the underdog is the victor. They win. They get it back, what was taken from them. And their betrayal is is dealt with. You see it in Moses. You see it in David. You see it in the story of Jesus himself. There's the gentle rabbi, and he's hanging there. 
blood-soaked hunks and chunks of flesh on that Roman cross is over. Movement ended. Done. He can't save us. He couldn't save himself. It's over. Until we realize that God had a plan and that plan is revealed from the beginning. The righteous underdog takes all. And what is it that we'll be shouting two weeks from today? He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's it. That's the thing we want to hear. That's it. Life isn't life unless this narrative is in the middle of it. The story of what God does for us. That's why we like all the movies we like and all the books we like and want to hear this story over and over again because it's baked into our brains. It's sealed up in our souls. We're hungry for it. And we're hungry for the real thing and the real thing is the gospel. And you see the gospel all over the Bible and it's really fun to see it in the Old Testament and see it in tiny little books that seem to be in the far corners of Scripture like Obadiah. Now, here's God's story. The righteous loser wins and the wicked winner loses. God tells us why. He has a reason for this. In Psalm 1, it says the wicked will perish. He will make sure that they do. A full accounting is kept. The righteous underdog will conquer the wicked overlord because it's the right thing. Obadiah, for such a little book, can teach us a lot about God. And in the verses that follow, we see why Edom met its end. And it's wisdom that we ought to capture. Look at this verse, verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. Because of how you treated someone else. If you treat someone else the way you're treating these people, then obviously you do not have that relationship with me. And so what goes around will come around. As you sow, so shall you reap. You'll see a version of that at verse 15. That's karma. That is not the gospel. That is not Christianity. That is not grace. Grace is what goes around doesn't come around. Amen? Praise God. Because what I sent around, I don't want coming around. Right? What I sow, I hope I don't reap because I'm going to be condemned. I need, I, grace is I sow something and reap something else. Because what I sowed, he reaped on the cross. He took my death upon him, died that for me, and gave me his life. That's grace. Amen? That's grace. Don't forget it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't become worthy of it, and you don't need to. Stop trying to. It's getting in the way of God loving you. It's getting in the way of you loving others. It's making you anxious. It's filling you with fear. Be filled with faith instead. What is faith? Trust. Trust God. The people who Obadiah is speaking to likely were challenged in the trusting God department because of all the defeat they had experienced. That had to be painful for them. And doubly painful because their brothers, their relatives, saw the so-called writing on the wall, but it was wrong writing, wrong wall, and said, you know what? 
we know who's going to win this military campaign. So let's side with the big boys. Hello, Babylon. We want to join you. What do you need us to do for you? Well, if you see some of them getting away, chase them down for us. Okay, we'll do it. Betrayal. So now you, you, see, you see something God doesn't like. You know he loves this story. You can't argue with it. You can't say, Pastor John is crazy. He's got these weird ideas. Nope, that's, it's all over the Bible. This righteous underdog takes all and conquers the wicked overlord story. What's also all over the Bible is what, what, what God really doesn't like, and he doesn't like betrayal. And it turns out that all sin is, is birthed in betrayal. We betrayed him in Genesis chapter 3. Cain betrayed Abel, and on and on it goes. My worst moments and your worst moments are moments of betrayal. Those are the moments where we hate ourselves the most, when we see, we see what we did, what we said, what we didn't do, what we didn't say. We see our own betrayal. God doesn't like it. The prophet continues, as if to speak to the people, as if to go back in time and try to talk them out of what they're doing. At the same time, he describes exactly what they did. Verse 11. On the day that you stood aloof, that's what they did. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates. So that's Babylon carrying off Judah's wealth and entering their gates. And cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. You were like the enemy. Notice that Babylon is not spoken against in this prophecy. It's, it's Edom, the people who should have done better, the people who should have known better, but chose otherwise. Verse 12, but do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah and the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. They had done all that. Verse 14, do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. That's exactly what they did. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. There's that phrase. We've seen it a number of times already in our study of the minor prophets. The day of the Lord. That's a day of judgment. That's a day of God making all things right. That has layers of meaning as well. And all of those layers point to God and his righteousness and that he will make all wrongs right. That's a very important thing to believe when it comes to God. And that helps you with your own battle against resentment, your own perception of injustice in your life. And it gives you an eye for injustice everywhere because it's not your eye after all. It's God's eye. I. It's God's idea. It's God's word and what he says about what's right and what's wrong. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Now listen to this. Here it is. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. 
Uh, what goes around comes around, it comes around pretty hard. Now, oh, there's such wisdom there, isn't there? Such warning. Always when there's warning, there's a heart of love behind that warning. God doesn't want any of us to be like this. The, the tragedy unfolds and continues. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. Edom had done more wrong than just what this book refers to. You can go back into the Bible and see times when God had protected them and provided for them and all these times where they did not do the right thing. They did not stand up for their brother. Always treachery was a choice. And so a whole group of people can choose together to do the wrong thing and experience the truth of verse 15, as you have done, it shall be done to you. And history is full of examples of this. You see it over and over again. There are a couple of places in the Bible where you can find Edom's history. How does it turn out? How does it pan out? How does the rest of the story go? That's where we pick up in verse 17. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. Think about hearing this, and you've lost all your possessions. And there, you, you, you have no access to Mount Zion. It's, it's gone. You're conquered. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So if you work for the destruction of another, you will destroy yourself. And here Jacob burns down Esau. There's just a few verses left as we see the restoration process continue, and he restores our, our sense of dignity. He restores, you know, when, when you get betrayed, you, you feel like your worth has been taken from you, has been stolen from you. And one of the remarkable and beautiful things that God does is he reinstalls that sense of worth. And he bases it not on your performance, not on what you've done, not on what you've earned or deserved, but on himself. And there's nothing like that. That's what we mean when we say to put your identity in Christ, derive your identity from Christ. Not from the culture, not from your resume, not from your bank account, not from what other people are saying about you. What do other people know? What do you know about other people? How many times have you been with somebody and you didn't know some essential facts of that person and you had already judged that person in one way and when you learned these new set of facts, you realized, well, I was wrong about him. I was wrong about her. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get your identity from Christ, your worth from Christ. So, verse 19, those of the Negev, and these are just points on the map here, shall possess Mount Esau. And those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. 
The exiles of this host, that means army, of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. If you have a good study Bible, you got a map there and just shows you all these points in the map. And shows you that Edom, which had security, at least as far as the human eye can see, loses their place because of their choices. And Judah regains what was taken from them because God restores it. And the final verse, it's an interesting verse. Savior shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. In the end, it all belongs to him. and the end, he takes it all back. Saviors is an interesting interpretation, translation of the word in Hebrew. English versions render it in different ways. Those who are saved, those who have been delivered shall go up Mount Zion. But this is a good, accurate rendition of what it says in the Hebrew. And apparently, a group of people will go up and they will, they will change the, the status of Judah and change the status of Esau. And the righteous loser will win, and the wicked winner will lose. So just some things to think about. Number one, the idea of a hero. Don't be your hero in life. I know that goes against the grain of culture, against so many things that you and I consume intellectually and otherwise. We, we, we are constantly fed this idea that we create our own reality, we, uh, we are responsible for uh, you know, things that, as Christians, we believe only God is responsible for. And so we're, we're constantly in conflict because the Bible teaches one thing and then we are creating a culture that seems to teach the opposite and makes us the point of our own lives. And that's why so many of us are so miserable because that's so shallow and so empty. It can't be, there's gotta be more, there's gotta be. So don't be the hero, you're not the savior. I wrote this, I'm not Moses, the Red Sea will stop me, but it won't stop God. Pharaoh's army will trap me, but it won't trap God. I'm not David, Goliath will tear me apart, but he won't survive facing God. I'm not Jesus, I can't save myself from my sin, death, and hell, but God can and will save me all the way and in every way in Christ alone. I am, however, like defeated Judah, the ones receiving the words of this prophecy, I am the beaten underdog spiritually, but God alone takes down my highly placed oppressor and punishes my two-faced betrayer and restores my house. I gotta get away from being the hero of my own life story. So do you. When I try to be, it doesn't end the way I want. Jesus alone must be the hero of my life story because he came through, I didn't. He wins the war. I can't. He gets the credit. I shouldn't. God plays the role of God in real life, not you or me. Amen? I know, we have to, to kind of do that work in our minds because everything is so much always about ourselves, even our relationship with God. We're basing it on ourselves. But Freedom, when we sing about freedom and talk about freedom, it's real freedom, and freedom is found in letting God be God in your life. God plays the role of God perfectly. No one does God better than God. Amen? 
I know. Sometimes we think we do. God, thanks for the good start and the helpful hints. I'll take it from here. <laughs> no. That's not how it's designed to be. And, and we've done this thing with spiritual life that it, it's another accomplishment. It, it's not. And nothing wrong with accomplishments. But the spiritual life is deeper than that. Our souls require more. They require connection with the Creator. And that's what's offered to us, re-offered to us in Christ. And so we want to, to take the lessons of the prophet to heart. Don't be like Edom. Don't be like Esau. Don't betray. Don't be a betrayer. Don't betray for profit. There's a lot of that. The spirit of that is everywhere. You see it all over the place. It's called wisdom. It is not wisdom. Don't trust other kingdoms. Esau trusted Babylon, but they also trusted the, the kingdom of their position, if you will, their lofty places, their, their, their place set in the stars, how high they were. No one, who's going to cast me down? That was the question, right? Who, who's going to take me down? I'm indestructible. Well, that's trusting in a kingdom other than God's. Trust in God. Anything else we trust, that's going to betray us. And finally, don't sign over your possessions. Notice the word possession was used a lot there at the end of the prophet and the prophecy of Obadiah and of what the prophet Obadiah wrote because the people he wrote it to had lost all their possessions and he's saying don't, don't accept the loss of these possessions because, and here's the ultimate word to the defeated from God, it's not over yet. And don't we see that? Isn't that the story next week? You know, we start with Palm Sunday and then it looks like it's over in the middle of the week, but it's not over yet. It's not over yet. Let God write the same story in your life. Let him say the same thing to you, especially those of you who are feeling defeated for one reason or another. It's not over yet. And that brings us to the table. It's part of what he wants us to remember when he says, do this in remembrance of me. It's not over yet. And furthermore, I did what I did for purpose. I remember the first time I learned of the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And, you know, most of us who grow up, grow up outside the church, you know, we're not trained in faith or religion. We just look at it and say, well, he was a good man. And, you know, Billy Joel was right, only the good die young. And so that's just tragic, and it just shows you what a, what a terrible place we live in in this world. And then we learn that he did what he did for us. He took our sins on himself, and the death was essential. So the, the men are going to pass around now, and it's a little different of a setup if you haven't seen it yet. It's two cups, one inside the other, and the, the bread is inside the cup on the bottom. And then you have the, the grape juice in the other cup, grape juice in place of wine. So take these moments now and consider how the word of God in Obadiah might be applied to your own life. 
There's a lot packed in that book. Think about the different positions. I know so often in my own life, I've wanted to speak just like the Edomites did. Look at me, I'm in a good, I'm in a good place right now. We don't, don't we even say that? I'm in a good place today. I want to be in a good place all the time. And I see the ones who are favored by God, though the ones that he tends to are the ones who are not saying they're in a good place. If, if that's you today, you're saying, I'm not in a good place. Well, according to scripture, you have God's attention. Your, your brokenness has attracted him and his attention. And he looks on you with love and wants you to see what the prophet has said and wants you to see that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the words he would say to one group of defeated people seeking him, he would say to another group of defeated people seeking him. Jesus asked us to remember his brokenness, remember his suffering, Remember what he went through. Because it's in his brokenness on our behalf, in his suffering, that we can most discern and experience his love. After what he does for us on Friday, Sunday is inevitable. There would be no Sunday without Friday. There would be no resurrection without the crucifixion. But there's both. And all this we remember as part of responding to what he says, do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we ask that you set apart these elements now. It's a quiet moment in our service. Let it remain so for a moment or two more. Help us, Lord, to honor you Help us, Lord, to see the cross. Help us, Lord, to place you in the middle, on the throne, wearing the crown in our lives. You're the star of the show. You're the point of our story. You're the one who did it, the one who came through, the one who won the war, the one who deserves all the credit and all the praise and all the glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you did for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.